The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 37. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Today we're discussing the sounds of thunder in the Thunderdome from Star Trek Discovery. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, I just wanted a little behind the scenes. Uh, the magic of podcasting, you get the episode when you get it. But uh, we were a little delayed starting because uh, I we're having some weather here. We're in, in the Boston area and I lost power uh, for a couple hours. And uh, so the the gentlemen were kind enough to uh, be patient as we got it back. But uh, I, I was reminded of Scotty. More power, Scotty. Where's those warp engines? We're going to die. Uh, luckily, it wasn't two weeks or two, 12 hours, uh, however long Scotty always uh, estimated. Uh, but we're we're back up and running. Uh, I, I do want to remind you to like the Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page, please. And to retweet it on Twitter. Uh, help us get the word out. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, reviews on iTunes and that sort of thing. It helps us get the word out about the show. You know, we're growing our audience, but it's not growing uh, all that fast at the moment. Uh, we've kind of plateaued a little bit and I'd like to get out to among the crowd. Uh, you know, the, there's, there's so many Trekkies out there, but a lot of the Star Trek podcasts, they're a lot alike. I think ours is different and interesting and maybe you think so too. So if you can share it with folks and let them know that we're here uh, and they were talking about interesting things and, Right now we're talking about Discovery, but there's so much Star Trek coming. There's so many new series. There's all the old series. There's so much to talk about. So if you could help us get the word out, we'd greatly appreciate it. So, Jimmy, before we dive into today's episode, uh, you mentioned that there's uh, uh, some theories out there concerning various timelines in, in the Star Trek canon, um, you know, and which we were introduced to like the idea that there are two timelines with the original series timeline and then a new timeline with the Kelvin, so-called Kelvin timeline with the J.J. Abrams movies. Um, and and now some people are talking about a third timeline. Can you can you lay out for us what's going on with this theory? Sure. So the basic idea is that there was a kind of an original timeline that began with Star Trek, the original series, and continued all the way through the other shows, you know, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and so forth, all the way down to Enterprise. And that all of those are really set in the same continuity. Um, then with the J.J. Abrams movies, they launched a new timeline called the Tel Kelvin timeline because of the Kelvin ship that was present at the divergent point. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the, because of the right situation between Paramount and Viacom, um, they have a, a licensing arrangement that seems to require Star Trek going forward to be something like 25% different than um, than the original series and the original 
timeline in one way or another. It often shows up visually, which is why the uniforms look a little bit different and so forth, even when we're looking at Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Um, There's a channel on YouTube called Midnight's Edge that has been uh, making the claim that the current Star Trek series is so Discovery, as well as the ones that are in development, including the Picard series and the Section 31 series, um, are all under this licensing agreement that requires them to be 25 or whatever percent different, and therefore that that would constitute a third timeline. And the question is, is what to make of that? Um, personally, uh, you know, the the show's creators for Discovery have led us to think that we're meant to understand that Discovery is set in the original timeline. So this is all happening 10 years before the original series or so. And uh, to me, that's really, unless they come out at some point and say otherwise, that's kind of the determining factor. They've led the audience to think this is not the Kelvin timeline. This is... um, This is the original timeline. And even if they have to make it look a little bit different for licensing reasons, um, that's just artistic coloring. It's if they mean us to understand this is the same original timeline, then then I'm happy to go with that. Uh, You know, I may or may not like the stories they're telling in it. But, you know, if that's their intent, then, you know, then I don't have a problem with that. And I think the um, I know some fans have kind of gotten you know, concerned about this, but I kind of think the MST3K mantra applies and it's really just a show we should really just relax. Mm-hmm. So if they mean it to be the original timeline, I think it is, even if for licensing reasons, they have to make it look a little different. But that's just my opinion. You may have another one. I, I definitely, uh, Go ahead, Father I definitely, yeah. I definitely agree with, with, with Jimmy on that. Now, I, I haven't watched the, the Midnight's Edge, but I've seen some of the other uh, commentators, lore reloaded, lore reloaded, and a couple others who've kind of taken this up, and I, I almost have the feeling that this is taking a, an element of the contract that may or may not exist. I mean, I don't think it's ever been actually confirmed that this requirement even exists at all. Um, and trying to use it to justify why Discovery really isn't Star Trek um, is ultimately what it comes down to. Right. There's a lot of there's a lot of fans that aren't happy, especially with the first season and how it did seem to change canon. Um, but of course, now in the second season, they have definitely been making an effort to try to pull it back to canon, which know? I think was always the plan. They exactly. always intended to sync it up with with what we'd seen before. It was just they were starting from a different point. Exactly. You know, and it's it, so it's I, I I don't buy it. I you know, I. Obviously, the movies, the the J.J. Abrams movies are a different timeline. They've always intended to be a different timeline. Uh, But to say that this is a third, you know, you've got original timeline, Kelvin timeline, prime timeline. That sounds more like fan wishful thinking, in my opinion, than it does any kind of legitimate issue. Also, if you look closely at the so-called original timeline, it's actually more than one. Stuff gets rewritten periodically in that with time travel stories. And um, like a classic example of that is the Deep Space Nine episode where Miles O'Brien is traveling around in time and the uh, and one version of him gets radiation poisoning and dies. And it's the alternate Miles O'Brien who takes over for the entire rest of the run of the series, which is also something we saw in Voyager when Harry Kim and Naomi uh wild yeah uh 
end up on another Voyager, not their original one, and they're the ones who journey home on that. Yeah, yeah that it, it's happened <laughs> several times. Uh, and that, that's where Doctor Who has the right idea. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. Let's stop doing that for people. Yeah. You know as, what? <laughs> as a comic book fan, I'm so used to reboots that it's like, okay, you're telling me these stories and uh, they're all they're all out there in the multiverse. Right. So we, it's we, just a question of what part yeah. are we looking at right now? As fans, we want everything to hold together, to care into cohere into a, a unit of whole that that we can imagine is real. And I get that. I agree with that. I, I would love it, too. And but. But I also love that it doesn't look like it was the discovery was made in the 60s either. Uh, that my one thing I want to point you know, say about Midnight's Edge in particular, I, I enjoy his videos. He's very he gets he researches yeah. these things very well. And he mm -hmm. knows the corporate politics uh, aspects of this stuff. And I think you know, deeply and, and intimately um, to, mm -hmm. to a degree, I didn't uh, wasn't aware of some of the stuff, although I wonder how much that colors his perception of you know how he interprets the creative aspects of the show right um just i think of even like related to today's episode sounds of thunder and how that relates to the short tracks episodes and some of the things he said about short tracks if that were tr if that's true it it does it, it there are some differences with and we'll get into it the differences that affect this episode i don't know i i just want to you know kind of point Say that just because the corporate reality is such is a certain way, there's all there's always no matter how well versed you are, there's always more deeper, especially right. these huge corporations with thousands of people involved. There's more to the story than we're ever aware of. So um, this idea that corporate licensing agreements require certain percentages here and there, and how that plays out, I'm I'm with yeah. you guys on this. I I, I just I just want to watch this and enjoy it on the terms mm -hmm. that it's that it's given to us. Um, all right. So uh, that's an interesting conversation. And folks, if you have any uh, any of your own opinion on this or feedback on this or we missed any uh, information, let us know. Uh, Trek at SQPN.com is a great uh, way to send us an email or on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, and we'll give all that contact information again at the end of the show. So um, let's talk about today's episode. Uh, this episode is titled The Sounds of Thunder, and it features a return to Saru's home planet of Kaminar, where they confront the Ba'ul, uh, a, a red signal from the Red Angels uh, brings them to Kaminar, and they confront the Ba'ul, the oppressor species for Saru's species of the Kelpians, and we have this whole uh, situation uh, brought to a head. So, um, and then there's a subplot of uh, Hugh Culber, the resurrected man, um, mm -hmm. dealing with his return from the dead, essentially. Uh, and, and what does that mean? And it promises right. to, to play out further as episodes go on. So um, let's start at the beginning. Just the idea that I guess the short tracks were not completely throwaway stories. And uh, mm. it, it explains why the one episode that wasn't set on the ship um, was set on Saru's home planet because they had the sets available for this episode. Yeah, they must have yeah. filmed them around the same time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we, we start with a voiceover from Saru this time, uh, where which is different from what we've been getting, which is a voiceover from uh, from uh, Burnham. And he says, uh, we all come from somewhere. We carry that place with us wherever we go. That never leaves our hearts, not entirely, but none of us can predict where our voyage will lead. We may suffer losses along the way, but we can hope to learn and grow from those experiences and from those who accompany us on our journey. And really, these... 
narratives, these little voices over the beginning are really setting out the show, the, the, this, this episode. That's, that's I, I've noticed, that's what they're essentially doing is setting out sort of the lesson we're going to learn at the end of this episode. Right. They're uh, better than the Chris they're better than the Chris Carter uh, monologues on the X-Files. Those were really overwrought. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so we, uh, we, we learned that uh, Burnham and Tilly and the, uh, um, the uh, uh, Borg-like crewman, uh, the, the cyborg mm-hmm. crewman uh, on Discovery. Ar- Arisa or whatever her name is. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't, I, all these new crew members, I'm still getting, getting, learning their names. Um, they're going over the records recovered from that ancient sphere from a few episodes ago that um, caused Saru's uh, transformation through the Vaharai, the this which is a critical element in today's episode. And mm-hmm. uh, meanwhile, and so Saru is getting checked out about his Vaharai in Discovery Sick Bay, and that's where he notices uh, Hugh, Doctor Culber, is still recovering from his 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 resurrection. He's getting examined. And uh, he said, Hugh says he doesn't, I don't feel like myself. And Saru tells him enduring something no one thought possible can be, can be transformative. And of course he's talking about himself in that way as well. Um, and, uh, yeah. and that again, will bear out through this episode. So we should probably mention what Vaharai is for people mm-hmm. who may be unclear. Um, it's a stage in their life cycle for Kelpians where they've been told they're going to go through this and it make it means they're ready to be harvested as food by the Ba'ul to maintain the great balance on their home planet so that their ecosystem won't get out of whack. And if they don't uh, turn themselves over to the Ba'ul, They'll go mad and die anyway. And um, so last episode, the sphere uh, Mogo triggered Saru's Vaharai and he went through it and didn't go mad and didn't die. And his his uh, threat ganglia fell out. And um, and so now he's like convinced the whole great balance thing is a huge, enormous lie. The Ba'ul have told his people and he's really mad about it. And he's also got new spiky things growing in place of his um, of his threat ganglia. Uh, the doctor tells him uh, uh, the, those the spiky things, which will play a, a part in the, later in the episode, are kind of cool. I wonder if we'll mm-hmm. ever see them again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if they're yeah, a one time thing. It, it, and as soon as I saw them on the on the thing, I said, "Oh, this this is going to bode aggression on right. um, yeah. on." On Saru's part, because he's going, what even is a Kelpian without fear? Well, if he's got spiky things growing in his head, he's going to be aggressive. Right. Well, and that's and that's played out throughout the episode. You see him get much more aggressive, much more assertive, um, especially to Captain Pike. He, yeah. he gets pos- positively insubordinate on multiple occasions. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, to and, the point and- that that uh, there has to be intervention between them to keep from getting worse yeah burnham's the level-headed one <laughs> that, yeah that says a lot about this episode <laughs> yes usually it's 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 saru being the level-headed one um he says something to uh to, to hugh at, in the sick bay he says perhaps in feeling less like you were you're feeling more like what you were meant to become is this just an empty platitude or is there some truth in this what do you think of this is this like a hollywood screenwriter sort of meant to sound profound thing or is there some I- I would I'd argue it's that's part of it. I would argue part of it is the it's kind of teasing forward to the rest of the episode 
Right. What Saru has become. Also, given the the closing monologue in the previous episode about is there a greater hand guiding us or not, uh, one of the religious themes they're exploring, I, I think it's it plays into that as well. Okay. All right. So, um, moving from this scene, we go to uh, uh, section uh, uh, Ash Tyler and P- is meeting with Burnham and Pike, and he says Section Thirty One believes the Red Angels can create time incursions. So they've it was mentioned last time. Now they've really come, uh, you know, solidly out about this. Like they're they're really planting this the flag in the ground about time travel being an aspect of this. Um, and then he asks, uh, you know, it, it, and Pike says they're they're not dangerous. They're they're leading us to places where we fix things. And Tyler brings up <laughs> what I think is a good point: Are they leading Discovery to crisis points to fix them, or because they created them? And one one thing that I noted in this episode and and I thought this was a flaw in the writing both with um with Ash Tyler and Saru is they're both like one note resist whatever mm-hmm. Pike says. Yeah. Um and so it's like both of them are just at every turn rejecting whatever Pike exactly. says. And it's like guys he's the commanding officer here. You need to show a little bit of deference and even if you have another viewpoint you need to express mm-hmm. it in a way that just doesn't directly confront him at every turn. See, with, with Saru, I, I excused it, if you will, because of him Life learning the, the, the issues going on with his changes and everything and all that. That was, that was I thought, excusable. With Tyler, he seemed just unnecessarily antagonistic. It's just every yeah, time right. he turned around, he was, and he, even something you hadn't seen in the previous episodes with him, where he was immediately like, oh, this is bad, this is wrong, we need to kill it. You know? Right, it, I, I I feel like the story as a whole, like the like the the plan for the story was a, was good. I, I like the idea that we're dealing with uh, Saru's home world and this this very strange relationship with the Baul uh, and all of that. I just didn't feel like this was a a very well written episode. I, I just didn't mm-hmm. feel like, the, like this wasn't as good to me as others. I kept running up at points for saying that's not how that should go. That just I mean that just is not a yeah. I mean that. They, they, you kind of dropped something there, or it just came, fell flat. And um, yeah. I, I don't know what the what, there was. A, several times where where I felt like, well, why did it go there? Uh, I just didn't feel like it was such a very very well written episode. I, I I agree. I thought the writing was was too paint by numbers. I thought it mm-hmm. would, it needed to be more sophisticated than it was. Even even though I can excuse the fact that Saru has just had a major life change. We should he should be more res, reserved than he is. We can see him struggling. To right. accept what 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 Pike says, we can see him reining in his insubordination, but right. he shouldn't just be flat out insubordinate. His training is too good for that. Or um, go to the next step and say his he's being so belligerent because of the changes. Come right out and say there are physiological uh, changes in him that are causing these psychological differences, and well, and make that part of the story. But in, in well, which in, case in, he in, should be off the mission immediately, right? Yeah. To which, and, to and, Pike's credit, he tried to do, but and then yeah. didn't. I was just going to say that, you know, Captain Pike yeah. tried to get that little hint in there. But, of course, there, there, there was the, you know, Saru said, well, I'm the same person. It's like, well, you're not acting like the same person. And, <laughs> right. you know, also, and also, there, was no, there was no calling him on that saying, but you're not acting like the same Saru you were two days ago before this right. all happened. Yeah. Also, Pike is just totally lying to him about like, oh, no, I don't question your integrity at all. The thought wouldn't even occur to me when you just questioned his integrity. 
Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, don't yeah. don't don't lie to the life transforming alien right now. OK, right. Um, for me, the big problem, though, was that um, that they're going to wreck the great balance. And mm-hmm. the way they did it was inelegant because they 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 do this interesting song and dance about are we violating general order number one? And yeah. technically, <laughs> no, we're not, because the Ba'ul got warp drive 20 years ago. Apparently, at the exact same moment, Saru made contact with the Federation, which caused them, the Federation, to make contact with the Ba'ul. And they, even though they took Saru, they said, we're not going to interfere beyond that. And mm-hmm. so technically, since the since the Kelpians have seen warp technology somehow from the surface of the planet they can be contacted without it violating general order number one, although they're they're pressing it. Um, okay, so fine. You've given me an interesting rationalization for why you can make contact with the Kelpians. But you know what doesn't work is let's totally wreck this planet's political racial balance thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a major diplomatic thing that a Starfleet captain is not going to be empowered to do. Now, I I tried rationalizing to myself, well, didn't we see Jim Kirk do this repeatedly in the original series? He just, oh, yeah, let's shut down the computer that's running this whole planet and (laughs) force Mm -hmm. their society to start evolving in another way. So Kirk did that. But Kirk is not Pike. They've made a point. Pike is a rule follower. He doesn't he doesn't do the crazy Kirk Cowboy stuff. And to have him just go along with totally wrecking a planet's culture is not something that he should have just accepted and gone along with it. There should have been much more discussion and objection and everything. I think it was bad writing on the part of the of the of the creators because they know where they want to go morally. They want to mm-hmm. they want to get the Kelpians out from under the Ba'ul. Um and that's fine. That's a great goal. We all want that. But the question is, how do you get there? And you don't have your rule following captain just go along. I mean, could you imagine Picard doing that? Yeah. Right. You know, he's Mr. Diplomacy. He's not going to just wreck another planet's culture, even if it's not a member of the Federation. Um, and and so that was bad. And then also the story they tell about, oh, actually, the Kelpians are were the original predator species. And now that they're they've all gone through Vaharai and they've all become predators and their predator instincts mm-hmm. reemerge as soon as they go through Vaharai, as illustrated by Saru, they're going to make a peaceful future with the Ba'ul and nobody's <laughs> going to try to get retribution. Really? Right. Right. It, it feels like we're being told a, an, an analogy story here. What I thought was going to happen, and which I would have preferred, frankly, is that we were going to find out that the Ba'ul are not predators, that they're not culling the the, the Kelpians uh, as a food source, but were in fact the evolved post-Vaharai Kelpians, and yeah. and mm. and then create that. The, but they were an aggressive species, uh, and that they were shepherding the Kelpians, not again, not as food, but to help them progress to this other stage and that would create a moral quandary for uh for saru and that's always the best kind of star trek story is where there's a moral quandary where you see a good here and a good there and you're trying to figure out what is what is the good that that i'm that i need to follow here uh and and, and that would have been 
frankly better than this episode because yeah what do we get in the end we get the the all oh see where you know well, we, the good guys win the bad guys lose we've you know rah rah and everything's yeah. going to be all better now on this planet even though we've completely turned everything upside down yeah you know, I, what i what I, I wish they would have done was something a little bit more morally and now i don't say ambiguous but well subtle subtle where Maybe, you know, instead of having the Captain Pike go along with it, Burnham's broken the rules in the past. Why didn't they just have where Burnham kind of snuck around behind Pike and then you have to have the scene where he's dressing her down for doing that? You know, I mean, what you know, there's so many ways they could have done it where they could have told that story and not gone to this loose. Yeah, we're all of a sudden now Captain Pike's fine with throwing out General Order One. Right. No problem doing it. And doesn't even think anything of it because some loose, they happen to, you know, some of the Kelpians happen to see Lieutenant Giorgio's shuttle take off into warp. So it's good enough. Yeah. yeah. It, it, oh, is that, is that how you took it? I thought they had seen, seen the message was that they had seen um, Ba'ul warp technology, though I may possible. be mistaken about that. No, I think, I think they said it was that they, because the Ba'ul had warp technology, that they were that that, that at it, least they were familiar with the idea right right yeah. the only person yeah. who saw a uh, Georgia shuttle was saru's sister uh right. from yeah. what i understand and so that wouldn't be enough to to um to to make them uh vi- you know uh set the rule aside the uh, general order uh so speaking of saru's sister it turns out she's the new priest of the village um mm-hmm. saru's dad has been called and so she's now there um I did like this this element where um, his sister was kind of mad at him because yeah, for that was so, nice. Yeah, there, there's this whole idea of like he's like I'm back. See, I went to the stars and I had this wonderful experience and I wanted to come back and share it with you. He's like, uh, yeah. When you were gone, we thought you they took you because you were you were violent. You were basically a heretic, essentially. Mm-hmm. That. And the, we were waiting for them for years. We thought they would come back and uh and and take revenge on us and have retribution on the village and we lived in fear of that. <laughs> so thanks for that. <laughs> it's a room. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was nice. I liked how, I liked how she, uh, she is like, we, we spent years in fear for, because of you. Thank you. Right. Right. That, so that was a good moment. Um, then we have uh, the, you know, the, the encounter with the Baul now confront the discovery in orbit. Um, they realize big, big ships, much yes. bigger than Discovery. Yes, that look like the pylons uh, on on board mm-hmm. the, on, on the planet, and uh, they they realize that uh, Discovery has some of their property, quote unquote. Uh, Saru, um, Pike has to kick Saru off the bridge. He becomes so belligerent and insubordinate, and he shatters uh, a panel. Yeah, right, just grabbing it, all the glass breaks. And uh, all aliens in Star Trek, by the way, are stronger than humans. I just want to point that out of course yeah <laughs> um th- so did anyone else find it like as soon as he left the bridge did anyone else like say oh he's going to the transporter room and he's going to beam down like th- so obvious little, yeah <laughs> well yeah it was very obvious i did like though as he's walking through the hall and he's like swaying his arms from side to side behind him and i thought yeah. that was a neat alien bit of body motion yeah mm-hmm. doug doug jones as the actor has a has really got Saru saru's physical presence down um yeah. it, it, they have these the, the actors have to wear these high heels sort of walk on the balls of their feet sort of yeah. uh prosthetics on their feet and 
the other actors, I could see them struggling, especially in the sand of the beach on the planet, trying oh, yeah. to stay mm-hmm. upright. I can't imagine how many times they must almost have fallen over at one time or another. But yeah. uh, Doug Jones is just such an expert playing this type of character. But I do love how he has really created this full person of Saru and include, right, let's say, including the body movements and that sort of thing. Um, like Leonard Nimoy did with Spock and the hand gestures and stuff. Yes. The, yes, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, now what I, I realized he's going to go, he's going to beam down. But what I didn't realize is he's planning on sacrificing himself to save the sister. I thought he was just going to beam down and make trouble because clearly right. he's headed for making trouble. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah, so he was, he was going to beam down to be uh, to, to be taken uh, by the pylon in his village to um, save the discovery. Right. And then we yeah. find out this is well, also I like Michael was willing to stun him to stop him. Yes. Yes. Um, and then but he uses against her um, her own search for well, search for Spock, I was going to say. That's a different movie. That's a different movie. Everybody's thinking it. <laughs> the uh, so, and, you know, he gets taken up into the Baul ship. And he's in this room with a big uh, hot tub. And, and it's really creepy. <laughs> yes. It, it Including is. the sounds. The sounds the Ba'ul and their tech make are really disturbing. Right. The voice of that Ba'ul is really, I, I, I got to say, well done. I mean, it is the, extremely yeah. effective and creepy. And the look is, wow. I, I, it, I have a hard time like, believing they're not the predator species on yeah. that planet. It, it's like the skin of evil, only scary. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> only scary. With that would have been a much more effective skin of evil of that TNG yeah. episode. Also, the Baul do something sensible, which is they don't. Even though one of them sort of maybe appears, I don't know if for sure that's a real Baul or just an animation of one. Right. But right. Um, but they also use drones. Yes. To inter- to interact mm-hmm. with their prisoners, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, why risk one of your own people when you can send in a drone to do what needs to be done? Exactly. exactly. And, uh, and we, this is where we get the revelation that the simultaneous discovery on uh, uh, discovery on discovery of the data from the, the great sphere about the, the history of the planet mm-hmm. and from the Kelpians, this idea that the great balance, like we said before, um, is is an invention of the Baul to keep the, the, the Kelpians in check because they were basically were in danger of making the Baul extinct you know, thousands of years ago. Uh, and then there was this switch over where the Ba'ul figured out how to, uh, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure what exactly the mechanism would have had to be for a tiny, almost extinct species to overcome the predator species. They said it was their advanced technology. And that doesn't make a lot of sense because if they had advanced tech, why did they almost get wiped out? I would assume right. that, we can headcanon that as they did almost get wiped out and then they invented the advanced technology that gave them the upper hand. Right. And, but they didn't wipe out the, the, uh, Kelpians. They just managed them, which is actually a sign that they're not entirely evil because they were about to be wiped out themselves and they did not wipe out their, uh, their, the people who were, who were persecuting them. They right. did get close. I mean, you look at the numbers and it's down to like 500 Kelpians on the entire planet, uninvolved Kelpians, something like that. I can't remember the exact number, but it was a very low number. Oh, was it? And then, yeah. Okay. I didn't catch that. Because they, they did wipe out all the evolved Kelpians, hmm. quote unquote. So um, speaking of drones, uh, I, I did like this moment where they... Um, the, the, Drone the, bashing. The, well, the Bowl go full Bond villain in this moment. So, so you know... Uh, 
uh, Saru is tied to the wall and they send in the drone with the overly elaborate spinning blade thing to kill him. Just shoot him. Just shoot him. Yeah, if you're exactly. going to kill him, shoot him in the face. <laughs> not like I will send a drone with a scary spinning blade to threaten to cut off your face, but not quite until you get a chance to free yourself. Like, come on. Do, do you expect well, me to talk? Said, no, Mr. Said, Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They, they did say they would be analyzed and then disposed of. So presumably the scary spinning thing is, is some kind. <laughs> gonna help them analyze him somehow i don't know yeah. vivisect him maybe maybe um <laughs> it looks but, like it was about uh, to blend him <laughs> by the yeah, veggie mix but but then we do get to see a nice scene of of saru smashing drones yes uh yeah so um meanwhile we have uh saru and his sister sitting next to this pool where the baul just appeared talking about their plan to put all the kelpians through for how i'm thinking is there no one still in the pool like is that guy gone like did he swim yeah. out through the the tunnel underneath uh you know where'd that, he go that, that's one of the things that made me wonder is that is that actually a baul or an anim or an animation of a baul that, that you yeah, turn on like, and off yeah. basically like, like a hologram hologram yes. type thing or something like that physical hologram yep uh but as also as we've seen from the uh that short treks episode uh baul technology is essentially plug and play like legos apparently oh yes mm-hmm. that you could just take random pieces put them together and make a First, you make a communicator. Then you can make a uh, device to control their their ship, and, and and apparently make a bow tie at the same time. I don't know, but it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. seems plug and play. Um, and then rather than let the evolved Kelpian survive, the Baul decide that they're going to commit genocide. Yeah. And they're gonna- so just just to tie up a point there. Um, yeah. So they get using information from the sphere, which triggered. Um, Saru's Vaharai. Yep. They they figure out the sound waves they need to broadcast in the planet's atmosphere to trigger Vaharai in everybody. This intense and, painful experience. Yeah, and um and so they they are going to do this to expose the lie of the great balance and and trust us it's going to be really great and no one's going to want payback after that's done. <laughs> yes. So Captain Pike should exactly. be A-OK with the plan. Yes. Saru says, we w- they won't give in to rage, trust me, because all Kelpians are just like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's working not, out so not, well. Yeah, not increasing confidence here. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and so and then rather than let the, uh, the, the, the Kelpians evolve, the Bowl has decided to commit a genocide. So they have their um, Stargate Atlantis city rise from beneath the waves. Yeah, <laughs> just like in uh, Stargate Atlantis, and uh, and they are going to, in this elaborate long procedure, connect all of the the pylons. Then it will take just enough time that it can be there can be an intervention, um, and then the Red Angel shows up, and basically Angel de- X Mahina, yeah, basically yes. deactivates the Baul technology, and we have this conclusion that the Red Angel set this whole situation up for Discovery to distract the Baul so that it could then do this. But if the Red Angels are this powerful, why do they need Discovery at all? Yeah, uh, I, I know. Why aren't they doing some? Why aren't they doing this? It creates a big problem from the from the writing. If the angels are the inciting thing to provoke this encounter, and then they're also the solution to the encounter, why don't they do it themselves? Right. It doesn't make. I mean, hopefully, there's an explanation coming, but it doesn't feel like it based there, on this episode. There, I think they are trying to say that there are there is limits to the power of the angels, but um, they're not doing a very good job of showing that. Well, the yeah. limit is uh, the limits 
based on what they showed us before, should be much higher than what they've had to do in this one. The limit they imposed in this episode, uh, unless it's a, it's a it's a situation of no, we're trying to get you to participate in our right. good deed. That's, that's only the I can only think. yeah. That's the only sensible way to do it. I don't know if they'll pay that off though. So I sent a to, um, a screen capture of this scene to my co-hosts here when I, when I was watching mm-hmm. it. I got I got a nice big clear screen capture and they referred to this in the episode which is that the red angel that shows up saru whose vision is better than humans gets a good look at it and and we we do too uh we see what the angel looks like without the uh blown out highlights of the light behind them and it looks like isaac it's isaac from the orville (laughs) it's isaac right it's essentially someone in a in a space in some kind of spacesuit or technology um yeah which fits in with the time travel theme they've established mm-hmm. for the angels now. Yep. And two arms, and, and two that, legs, a head, five fingers. And I don't know how many toes. We don't see those, but uh, five fingers in each hand. So it's yeah. pretty clearly and, humanoid. And kind of, kind of a, oh. a feminine body shape, too. You know, hmm. at least yeah. the way I thought. Yeah, in broad outlines. Yeah. No no pun intended. Um, also, the um, the mentioning the time travel theme that's that's something i predicted last week um right. because the title of this episode the sounds of thunder is a re- apparently a reference to one of the most famous time travel stories ever a sound of thunder that's the famous story where you go back in time to hunt dinosaurs and you step on a butterfly and it alters your mm-hmm. future that's the that's the famous story that the title of this episode is a reference to Right. So the, the Red Angels, the butterfly fighting back. <laughs> right. That's an <laughs> interesting point because there's wings. Um, so now Section 31 in, in the guise of Ash Tyler uh, is are, are now freaking out. These advanced technology, they're going to use it against us. We have to fight back against them. And Pike's like, I think you're being a little paranoid here. Um, you know, assuming that any advanced technology will have is is in, inevitably going to be used uh, against us. Um, right. But that's sort well, of Section 31's is, mission, right? It, it's also because Pike refers to the threat assessments that Section 31 is doing. And actually, that's what a threat assessment is. Yeah. Um, you you say, what can these pe- what can these people do to us, regardless of whether they're our friends or not? Right. What could they do to us? That's the threat assessment. We, we have to assume you know, that that's Section 31's job is to assume worst case scenario. And how do we how do we you know, deal with a worst case scenario? Hoping that the worst case scenario never happens, but being prepared for it. Yeah. Um, and then Tyler stalks off without being dismissed. <laughs> right. Yep. Insubordinate Klingon. Uh, um, so <laughs> we have this, uh, this, this final scene where uh, Saru, uh, his sister is visiting aboard the ship, and then he takes her to the transporter room and she leaves. And so you have uh, Saru and Burnham in the transporter room. And um, Saru thanks Burnham for her help. And Saru. I'm sorry, Burnham uh, quotes Aeschylus, the Greek trage- tragedian, who uh, with this line, he who learns must suffer. And even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. Um, there is more to the quote, though, and the rest of it goes. And in our own despair against our will comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. I find mm. that part now actually, actually gives some meaning to the rest of it, which is. You know, even in the tragedies and sufferings that we suffer, there is wisdom that we earn, but through the grace of God. Right. So, so there's there's something to this 
to this message. And in fact, um, a, a famous use of this quote in real life, um, Robert F. Kennedy quoted this on the night Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm. He was giving a speech and he added the, uh, you know, he put this in his speech and added, um, I think it's, it's, it's sort of relevant. I don't want to get political, but he says, what we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, but love and wisdom and compassion toward one another, a feeling of justice to those who still suffer in our country, whether they be white or whether they be black. And uh, it's interesting to kind of put these things together into this episode and to see what maybe they're, whether it's Barunum trying to say this or the screenwriters are trying to say, say to us, what do you think of, of, of this sort of chain of quotations? Well, I think it's kind of funny, um, you know, talking about, you know, wisdom coming from God, because the the day we record this, the first reading was the beginning of the book of Sirach, uh, and it begins with all wisdom comes from God. Right. I mean, Interesting. That, that, that paraphrase, I'm trying to pull up the actual passage. Yeah, it actually it was all wisdom comes from the Lord and with him it remains forever and before all time. Very you know, nice. It's, Interesting. For all time. Time travel. <laughs> yep, exactly. But it's just kind of interesting that 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 link that happened j- just on the day we're recording this with that that scripture again, that idea of that that wisdom that we're seeking, right? Even in tragedy, even in suffering, which Saru and his people had suffered. I mean, and I yep. think maybe that's the idea is, you know, the incredible suffering that your people, the genocide your people have suffered already, not just even that they were going to be wiped out, but all the, all the Kelpians who have, who mm-hmm. have died at the hands of the Ba'ul, there's still a possibility of wisdom through that. Not right. that, not that the suffering was good, but that you have wisdom despite that. Yeah. And that's a nice Hollywood sentiment, but that's not what would happen in real life. <laughs> right. There, there would, there would, I mean, there, the, the, the people on the discovery are far too naive about this situation. They should have anticipated that if you suddenly try to turn all mm-hmm. of the um all of the uh prey into predators all at once, right. genocide is the obvious solution. Do it while we can. Right. Um so they should have been able to anticipate the genocide and then after the red angel intervenes, okay, you may have smashed all of the watchful eyes for all of the 4100 villages of these people. But now that the Red Angel's gone and when the Discovery leaves, immediately the Ba'ul are going to start massacring Kelpians while they still have a technological advantage over them right. because well, now they're dealing with a race of predators. But they, they don't have the, the technology, technological advantage that, that was taken away by the Red mm, Angel. No, they smashed the Watchful Eyes, but that's not going to be the extent of their technology. They're still going to have no. guns and Well, things. they shut down all of their, like, their city and everything is smashed. I don't, I don't know if you noticed that, but they like when you saw the city on the back uh, in the background from the beach, it was sort of like smashed and, and semi sunken. My ass- sense I'm was, ass- you know. I'm assuming there's more than one Ba'ul city, and that that 50 kilometer wide base or whatever it was may have been smashed. But I I don't think I mean they if they meant us to understand that they reduced the Ba'ul to the Stone Age like the Kelpians, they did not right. communicate that. Well, and they they even they even kind of sort of address this when they're making the argument whether or not to do the Vaharai, and they they said, well, the the Kelpians or the the uh, Ba'ul will be fine because they've got the superior technology. Right. Implying right. Even that they, it'll be several decades before, you know, the Kelpians and 
or the Baal are really at threat from the Kelpians. Re- well, regardless of whether the, the technologist, technological solution, you're right, Jimmy, what they've done now is they're leaving a- after having instituted a war. There is now yeah. a full on, you know, a, a worldwide war between these two species on this planet. Exactly. Uh, that they've instituted. Not, not, and- not all of them. Not all of the uh, Kelpians are going to be quite as pacifistic and you know, gentle as her yeah. sister who's right. So, yeah. has her head in her clouds that everything is going to be perfect now. And now we'll have the new balance that everything is going to be wonderful. Yeah. No and by the way, she, for a priest, she's remarkably okay with finding out her faith was a lie. I mean, she adapts to that really fast. Well, even just, even just the idea that there are people in the stars and, you know, hundreds of thousands yeah. of different types of life forms out there and all that. She's like, Oh wow, that's great. As a, well, as a, I, I had more, yeah. I had more, I, I could buy that. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, saying, okay, there are people out in the stars. Fine. It, but wait, what my whole faith has been a lie. Mm-hmm. Well, this the 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 whole idea of that the great balance is like as a, is a religion. I have a hard time with it. I mean, what it's it does. I mean, what well, kind admitted, of religion admitted, is it? Admittedly, yeah. ecology is a religion for people. Some people right. here on Earth. So, I, yeah. I <laughs> but like, what are they worshiping? What is the what is the shape of this religion? It just the like the Baul aren't the gods. Uh, the the the. I mean, but some idea of a balance is well, and it just is a kind of a weird like what is form does this religion take well you know, so it's you can have something like a like an eastern mysticism or something yeah. like that where it's not it's not the worship of a god you know yeah. right i, I think uh, that's that's kind of a misinterpretation of religion in our world today is yeah. religion must have a god that is worshiped yeah that's i was just going to say uh theravada buddhism the original form of buddhism is agnostic about um the existence of deities um the idea is there are these cosmic principles you need to live by if you want to get out of reincarnation and so i think it's something similar here whether or not they have a god their what their religion is practically focused on maintaining the cosmic balance okay yeah uh that's that's and that's a good point whether um they don't, yeah, they don't explain that per se, but that is a, would be a common misunderstanding, I think, for folks watching this is, you know, what is, what kind of religion is it? Yeah. Uh, so following this, uh, Burnham has decided upon seeing what Saru has done for his sister, that she needs to go home to Vulcan. And I'm not sure what, what, what the two have to do with each other. She, she's just- probably expecting to take all of the, uh, all of the passive uh, Cyrenite Vulcans and turn them into predators against the logic extremists. <laughs> must there be it. <laughs> uh, but the, the bottom line is, is that we're going back to Vulcan in the next episode. And we see in the previews for next week that we're finally going to see Spock, that he's going to finally show up in the, what is this? The eighth episode of the season uh, where, yeah. we, where we're at. And, you know, the, or the seventh. Point. yeah, it's the seventh episode. So, yeah, we get halfway through the season and we're, we're going to see um, we're going to see Spock. So, Hopefully. well, we, they showed him in the. Uh, yeah, in the preview, I know. But yeah, but I know they, it's not beyond. They, they, sh- they showed him in the in the what turned out to be the season preview, too, at the end of the first episode. That's true. Yep. That's true. So um, we, we do. They've been very cagey about uh, episode titles, by the way. Uh, the they they don't haven't re- released them officially until the um coming next week bit of uh mm-hmm. of the of of every episode but there have been certain like certain uh episode services like the TV guide type services out there 
that have leaked yep. them a little bit. So we know that the next few are uh, the next one's Light and Shadows. Then, if memory serves, Project Daedalus, the Red Angel, which mm-hmm. should be an interesting, uh, and then Perpetual Infinity. And those are the next titles we have. And then there are at least three more episodes in the season after that. So I don't know if the Red Angel one will be the you know the 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 climactic point of this storyline or not, but uh, certainly mm-hmm. interesting. We- we better get some more information substantially about the Red Angel if they're going to call it that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so any- I had a few little things to tie up, if that's okay. Yes, I was just going to um, ask. I, I liked the alien color scheme on Kaminar. Uh, one, mm-hmm. a classic problem of sci-fi with alien planets is they either look exactly like Vancouver <laughs> um, or... They have bizarre, unearthly color schemes that are just totally Star Trek. The original series doesn't look like any color scheme mm-hmm. that it's just like day glow colors. And and here they took natural colors and I guess using, you know, CGI and color filtering, they tweaked them so that they look different than Earth, but they right. don't look day glow garish. Right. And I liked that color scheme. I wanted to give the special effects guys credit for that. Um, in when uh, Tyler asks the question, is the alien uh, leading us to crises to fix them or is it causing the crises? My first thought was, well, what's the Star Trek answer? The Star <laughs> Trek answer is always going to be the generous one that expands the circle of compassion. So, of course, the aliens are leading us yep. to these crises. Um, I liked when we get a, got a moment of Saru speaking to his sister in Kelpian. They mm-hmm. had clicks in their language, yep. like Trosa, and so and other Earth languages use clicks. And so I, it was nice to hear the clicks in the language because that's different than um, English and a lot of European languages. Um, I did though kind of balk a little bit when uh, Serana asks Michael, "Do humans from Earth drink tea?" And it's like, okay, tea is a specific plant here on Earth. I guess <laughs> this could under do. I guess that they they I mean they have an equivalent of tea made out of these flowers. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it immediately set off the linguist in me wondering. Okay, so what did she actually say in Kelpian? Was it like, do humans from Earth drink boiled leaf water? <laughs> right. um, wasn't sure about that. We drink tea, uh, but I'm not sure we can drink this if it'll kill us or not. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also, we didn't mention that the, the spikes growing in, uh, Saru's head turn oh. out to be darts yes. that he can reflexively fire as he does at the Ba'ul. And then just a couple of, of themes that have become annoying to me, um, in recent episodes. One of them, we have another, and this one isn't major, but we have another instance of Michael not answering questions regarding Spock. This time, Tyler says to her, have you thought of anywhere we might look for Spock that hasn't occurred to us? And then before she can answer, something intervenes. Right. And so we have another of that. But what I found even more annoying, um, because it, it, at least this time, the Michael question was, wasn't one where she refuses to answer and it's personal. Right. About Spock. Like, what did you do? Um, so this was of a lower order. But what was not of a lower order yet again in this episode, we have the theme of we've got to risk everybody on this ship to save one crew member. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I how many times has that happened this season already? I can think of at least three cases. <laughs> I think three I in mean, the last we, three episodes. Yeah, yeah we had exactly. Tilly and Dr. Culber and now Saru. And it's like, guys, you've been milking this when it's time to do another plot. Right, right. Uh, any, do you have anything else, Father Corey? Uh, just a couple of small things. Uh, there's a... A small continuity error, error between the short treks and the scene of the shuttle, where yep. in the short treks, it shows that the uh, Lieutenant Giorgio's uh, shuttle was from the Shinzo. It, it had SHNO3 on the nose. Right. And then now in this, they scrubbed out the SHN, so it just said O3 because it was from the Archimedes, not from the Shinzo. Right. Ah. Now that's so, well, Yeah. Hmm? If we're doing small continuity errors, also Dr. Culber's hair is notably longer than when he came out of the um out of the 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 goopy cockroach pod last episode. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, speaking he, of Dr. Culber, one of one of the, yeah. the kind of notes I have is those scenes they seemed almost like they were added as an afterthought, in my opinion, where they were just added just for the sake of well, we gotta continue this yeah. storyline. Yeah. But they had it absolutely could, nothing to do with the rest of the the rest of the show, rest of the right, episode. Yeah. It, it could um, be running time issues, what they used to in Next Generation call pillar filler yep. that Michael Pillar would write to expand out uh, the, the running time and often involved emotional moments and thinking exactly. about emotions. Exactly. And mm-hmm. then I got a, I got a kick out of Saru getting a little too comfortable in the command chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was funny. I like <laughs> Pike kind of looks at him and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I want to, I kind of want to say before we, we, we wrap things, we have some feedback I want to get to, but one thing I want to say, we, we are in these shows, whether it's Secrets of Star Trek or Secrets of Doctor, Doctor Who or, or, or other shows we do, we're often very critical of things and we find errors and things we want to point mm-hmm. out. That doesn't mean we don't like the show or we're not enjoying yeah. it, but we want yeah. to talk about it. We want to look at the good, what didn't work, what we hope will be better. And and it gives us it helps us to kind of process the show and and to, and it be, right. I I'm enjoying Star Trek Discovery. I, I'm guessing you guys do too. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And uh, and in the shows, if some shows are better than others, that's just natural. Uh, or episodes and, and this this episode was not as good as some of the others, but well, I'm still enjoying it. And there was so much well, to like about this episode. And I just yeah, wanted to say want, that. If you oh, want yeah, proof, we, of, if you, you want proof you, of that, go back and you know we like Next Generation. I think the three of us really like Next Generation. Oh, yeah. But go yeah. back and listen to our conversation on Counter Farpoint, <laughs> exactly, or our coming conversations on basically every episode in the first two seasons. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, and you know what they say about the original series: seventy-eight episodes, about a third of them good. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I just throw that out there uh I, I did want to have a little bit of feedback we have something from um belinda rocafort uh, wrote a comment on sqpn.com she's been going back looking uh re- listening to some of our earlier episodes this is from uh secrets of star trek number 19 uh our overview of the enterprise series and she said i had mixed feelings about this series but after binge watching it around the same time as i listened to your podcast about where are all the aliens i think she's referring to uh uh, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World podcast on the oh, Family Paradox. Yeah, just... yep. okay. uh, she says, there are certain ideas manifested in this show that intrigued me. One, that the Vulcans hid their presence from humans during the nuclear age because they were concerned about the primitive nature of our culture. And two, the way that the captain's cynicism developed over the four years regarding their original intention to explore and visit with new humanoid aliens and how they realized over time how aggressive others would be. The development of more sophisticated and powerful weapons became essential. 
this was pointed out that war and aggression is a basic reality when dealing with beings of higher intelligence. I guess my point is that I like the series better when I could imagine that the writers might actually have known about some of the ideas Jimmy Akin summarized in his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so uh, just some, some interesting feedback there and, uh, and how there's a cross-pollination between yeah. our, our different podcasts. So if you aren't listening to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World uh, and, you are, and you are enjoying The Secrets of Star Trek, you definitely will enjoy Mysterious World. Oh, yes, World. absolutely. So, and you can find that at sqpn.com slash mysterious. So uh, before we, we finish out, I want to do, as I always do, one of the most important things we do is to thank uh, our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek. Uh, today, I want to thank by name Ryan Z, Jack B, Patricia V, Michael A, and Eric M. Through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, they make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at sqpn.com. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that, that's it from us. What did you think of the Sounds of Thunder? Uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page and leave us some feedback on the show there or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. Uh, you can find links to any any relevant links on our discussion on our show notes at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode in Star Trek Discovery, Light and Shadows. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Live long and prosper, Dom. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Well, thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest.